can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, high five your neighbor, fist pound your neighbor. If you're sitting by yourself, high five yourself. <laughs> oh, mercy. It's good to be back home. It's good to be, it's good to be back. Uh, these uh, two-week jaunts that I'm getting off on are just great, and I want to thank you so much for them. Uh, Cindy says, what are you doing with all your time? I said, none of your business. So, and it's not anybody's business. She has to work. <laughs> so I love it. And uh, I'm being a kept man during these two weeks. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I'm not really doing a whole lot. I'm just reflecting a lot. Spend a lot of time with God. And uh, he's doing a lot of talking to me too. So um, just hang on there. We've got a lot to, lot to do, a lot to get done. And uh, I just believe God's not finished with us yet. And uh, if we'll believe that together, good things can happen. For three weeks in June, I want to talk to you about relationships worth improving. Isn't that a great title to a series? Relationships worth improving. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. So if you have those Bibles you had or electronic devices that you had, uh, get to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be focusing in verses 10 through 31 of that chapter. And one of the first relationships worth improving that I want us to talk about is the power of a faithful friend. How many of you believe that you are a faithful friend? How many of you have a faithful friend? Okay. Uh, if you're like me, I'm married to mine. And I'm grateful for her more than you'll ever know. If you were in Sunday school today, you'll find out how grateful I am. She, uh, she came into the room, and all of a sudden the adoration and praise that was being heaped upon the pastor suddenly turned quickly to bring me back down out of the clouds. So, And I noticed everyone then contributed to that bringing down of the pastor's uh, ego. So I appreciate you guys doing that. She tells me all the time that her spiritual gift is to keep me humble. And then she always adds, and I do it very well. So, <laughs> Two boys were collecting a bucket of uh, nuts uh, underneath a great tree inside a cemetery on the outskirts of town. And the bucket got full, and uh, they sat down then to divide their spoils. One, uh, one for you, one for me, one for you. One for me, as each boy looked intently into that bucket. The bucket was so full that some of the nuts spilled out and rolled down toward the fence. It was getting close to dark, and there was another boy that came riding by on his bicycle. He thought he heard voices from inside the cemetery, so he slowed down to check it out. He heard, one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. He jumps back on the bike and he says to himself, Man, the Satan and the Lord are dividing souls in the cemetery. <laughs> so he's riding off looking desperately for a friend and just around the corner he finds an old scowling man hobbled up and walking along with a cane and he says, Come with me quick. 
You won't believe what I heard. Satan and the Lord are down at the cemetery and they're dividing up souls. The man says, beat it, kid. Can't you see it's hard for me to walk? And when the boy insisted, well, the man hobbled to the cemetery. And when they arrived at the fence, they heard, one for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. Well, the old man was ready to have a little fun. And he says, boy, you know, you've been telling the truth. Hey, let's go inside and let's see if we can't see the face of the old devil himself. Well, the kid was terrified and the old man was already taking his first steps toward the gate. And then they heard, okay, that's the last of them. That's all. Now let's go get those two nuts by the fence and we'll be done. Well, they say the old guy made it back to town five minutes ahead of the boy. More than likely, he was looking for a friend. Most people are constantly looking for friends. Some people are desperately looking for friendship. At times, we all stand frozen with fear by the cemetery fence, so to speak, when life shakes us to the core. At times, legs don't support. Healthy hearts nearly break. At times we can barely muster a prayer. And when it comes out, it's, it's really a plea. It's a plea of a, for a friend. But more than likely, you already know the story of Saul's conversion that we're going to look at this morning. You probably know it very well. And whenever you come to a well-known passage, I don't know about you, but it happens to me quite often. When I come to a passage like that, like we're going to look at in Acts 9, we might know the story maybe too well. Today I want you to try to picture Paul's experience. I want you to look at it from his vantage point, And the vantage point that he was sharing and coming from would be a vantage point of loneliness. In a matter of three days, Saul became lonelier than he had ever been before. Probably begging God for a friend. He must have been physically spent when he neared the city of Damascus. He traveled some 120 dusty miles to stop the church that was growing in that town. Just as the city came into view, just when he was nearing that hot shower, that good meal, he had lost his eyesight with one blinding light. All was dark, all remained dark, with one deafening statement from heaven, he discovered that everything he believed to be true was false. Jesus wasn't the enemy. Jesus was Lord. In the darkness, Saul must have expected the very judgment of God. Would he even be allowed to live in the three dark days that passed? Loneliness, grief, and despair became the roommates of Saul. In the depth of that loneliness, God was about to reveal the power of a faithful friend. Saul was about to meet, in fact, two of the best friends that he had ever had. First, the Lord commanded Ananias to go to Saul. Though frightened, Ananias obeyed. And became the first friend that Saul found in his new family of faith. 
The second friend that he sent was Barnabas. He became Saul's advocate and his true dear friend in Jerusalem. If not for Barnabas, Saul might have not even met all those frightened apostles. Let's pick up our story in Acts 9. Let's pick it up at verse 10. Follow with me. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. It's good that God knows our name, isn't it? He calls him Ananias. Yes, Lord. So you might say, Lord doesn't know who I am. Oh, yeah, he does. He'll call you by name if, you, if you'll just listen. <laughs> and if he does, you better respond. Okay. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, as we read on, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he, was, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from, the, from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he that man? That man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch over the, on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Saul never got over the friends he found in Ananias and Barnabas. By becoming those faithful friends, Ananias and Barnabas were able to change the whole world. It's impossible to under, understate or underestimate the power of a faithful friend. And it's critically important that we be, be that friend to people in our lives. And when you look at irreplaceable friends like this, there's four characteristics of those faithful friends I want you to see today. Number one, if you'd like to be a faithful friend, be there. Be there. Have you, have you already been thinking about the best friends that you have? I want you to think about that. Man, who is that you raised your hand about? You had, you had a best friend. Who is that? Do you have a name? Do you have a face? If the faces of your favorite people come to mind, we need to remember the people who found a way to be with you. Many of them were with you in the routines of life. 
Maybe you attended class together. Perhaps you grew up in the same home. Maybe it's a favorite sports partner or a fishing buddy. If you, if you live long enough, the best friends of your life were also those who found a way to be with you during those tough times. How many stories would we have today if we told of friends who drove hundreds of miles to be with us, who jumped on an airplane to stand by our side, or those who canceled appointments to join us? The details differ, but one thing is certain about faithful friends. They don't stop with a phone call, letter, or an email. They find a way to be there. That's what a faithful friend does. Imagine if you were in real need and you called on your best friend. He or she would say, well, you know, I can't help you right now. They're running this rerun of my favorite TV show, and I've got to watch that tonight. It's really important. Well, how are you going to feel? Well, you'd know the truth. That person is not really a friend. A friend will be with you even if he or she must go to great trouble or expense to do so. A friend, a faithful friend, simply ignores their own needs in order to help that friend. But what if God asks you to befriend an enemy? Well, actually He has. Half a dozen places in Scripture, Jesus says, love your enemies. In Luke, Jesus said, do, in Luke 6.35, He says, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Oh. Ananias almost certainly had a family and a set of faithful friends. He lived in Damascus, kept up with the news, and knew that a terrorist named Saul was on the loose. Ananias said to the Lord, I have a new friend for you. <laughs> Before he fully understood, Ananias simply said, Yes, Lord. He didn't even ask who. He just said, Yes, Lord. When God said, Ananias, he said, Yes, Lord. How about when God says to us and calls you by name, he says, Harold, I say, yeah. do I say, Yes, Lord, or do I say, what, what you want? See, the first thing we want to do is, What do you want? Instead of saying, Yes, we say, What do you want? Well, I want you to go to your neighbor and talk to him about my son, Jesus Christ. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I want you to volunteer more at the church. Oh. Well, I want you to clean the toilets at the church. Oh. I don't even clean the toilets in my house. Well, don't say that. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Ananias, yes, Lord. The power of a personal visit. Salespeople know that. Salespeople know that. They get more done face-to-face -face than they can by phone or email or text messaging. It's that face-to-face, -face, isn't it? I was coming out of Brownsville or out of Harlingen back to Tulsa on Memorial Day. And I got to do the scanner. Then realized I left my iPad on a kiosk when I got my ticket. So I had to pack up everything, go back through, and luckily it was still there. And then I got to go back and do it again. I feel more clean than I've ever cleaned in my life. You know, if you, have a, if you don't have health insurance, you need chest x-rays, just, just go to the airport. They'll take care of it for you. It won't cost you a dime. Well... It will, but a lot less than it normally would. So be a faithful friend 
in order to do that, number one, be there. Number two, know the power of a gentle touch. Know the power of a gentle touch. Most every culture uses touch in greeting, a handshake, a hug, a kiss on the cheek, maybe a kiss on both cheeks. A touch can show sympathy, fellowship, friendship, trust, sometimes powerful trust. What a great gift Ananias gave when he came to Saul for the first time. In Luke 9 and verse 17, look, it says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Placing his hands on Saul. Saul had come to Damascus to literally bind the hands of Ananias. But instead, Ananias used those very hands to gently touch Saul. To gently touch Saul. They had both originally anticipated a struggle, a battle, a fist fight, maybe to the death, but instead a kind touch was extended from the hunter to the hunted. Or from the hunted to the hunter, I should say. But imagine how Saul might have felt before Ananias arrived. He'd had no food or drink for three days. He likely hadn't had much human touch. The men he came with would have been frightened at what happened on the road and they could get no explanation from Saul. After three days they'd become frustrated. Why if Saul wanted to sit in the darkness and die of starvation that they couldn't stop him? He was blind, frightened, depressed. How simple a solution for Saul's problem. He needed a friend. But think of it. Before Saul heard a word from Ananias, a stranger, before he knew the answers to his questions, Saul felt a gentle touch on his shoulder. I've watched our coaches in admiration how they work with these young people of varying athletic abilities. It's easy to work with those that really know what they're doing. It's not so easy when guys like me show up. The hand on the shoulder was a, a normal, natural expression for me. Plus, the, around my throat. No, obviously. But I've watched them gently. They'll put their hand on their shoulder or around their shoulder. They'll pull that player in and they'll say, Hey. And they'll lower their voice and they'll say, Hey. Now, I've watched some coaches who they never get to touch the kids. Why? Because their words are so loud and so obnoxious and so threatening that the kids cowered over in the corner because they think they just killed Jesus again. But I love that coach that will put his arm around that kid and will say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Isn't that what you want as a parent with your children? Is that what you want as a child when your parent comes in the room? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. But you see, it's that faithful touch, that power of that gentle touch. So to be a faithful friend, be there. Secondly, know the power of a gentle touch. And thirdly, speak the right words at the right time. Here's a trivia question for you. What was the second name Saul had in Scripture? Anybody want to venture a guess? I'm sorry? Tarsus? No. What was, what was Saul's second name in Scripture? Paul? You know, I used to think that too. I used to think that too. 
But if you'll look in uh, verse 17, it starts out, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was greeted, his second name, he was called Brother. Brother Saul. Hey, that's important. That's really important. Because if my enemy comes to me, I'm going to call him some things, but not Brother. <laughs> but yet Ananias came and called him Brother Saul. See, the gentle touch, and now the word given in the right way. Again, it may not look like a big deal, but I'll bet Saul never forgot the day that he was called brother for the first time. A faithful friend says not simply kind words, but the right words at the right time. And friends are like that, aren't they? Those friends that we're talking about today are the kind of friends that will say that. They got it. They just say it. And you receive it well. Why? Because of the friend relationship you have. See, so often we think we have a deeper friendship than we literally do because when we try to say something, right word at the right time, they don't receive it. So we've got to be careful. We've got to pick the words wisely. Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but such as is good for building up in the edification of the body. Amen. Okay. Ananias showered Saul with the most precious gifts that you can give another human being. He was there. He touched him like a friend who cared, and he spoke kindly to him with the right words at the right time. And over the next several days, he taught Saul. He encouraged him. He introduced him to more people who had that same kind of touch, that same kindness, that same love born from the Holy Spirit. What wonderful power Saul discovered in Damascus. The first form of that power he discovered was the power of a faithful friend who was going to be there. Secondly, he would know the power of a gentle touch. Thirdly, would speak the right words at the right time. And then fourthly, if you'd like to be a faithful friend, don't waver in your support. In 1967, Stu Weber was in the U.S. Army Ranger School at Fort Benning, Georgia. It was a brutal training for, for brutal times. The war with Vietnam was the backdrop for the young men trying to survive the heat, humidity, and the rigors of that uh, camp. Weber is now a pastor and author and writes of the day that the raspy voice of the drill sergeant barked out his first passionate speech to the troops. We are here to save your lives. First, we're going to see, it, see to it that you overcome all your natural fears. And second, we're going to show you just how incredible stress, uh, how much incredible stress the human mind and body can endure. And when we're finished with you, you will be the U.S. Army's best, America's best. You will be confident, you will survive even in combat, and you will accomplish your mission. But before he dismissed the formation, the sergeant gave Weber and his fellow recruits their first assignment. These guys were ready for anything. They had mentally prepared for a 10-mile run in full battle gear. They had already envisioned rappelling down a sheer cliff. So what could this tough guy's first uh, assignment be? The drill sergeant says, find yourself a ranger buddy. You will stick together. 
You will never leave each other. You will encourage each other and as necessary, carry each other. It was the army's way of saying difficult assignments require a friend. Together is better. Together. Is that not a message for the church today? Together is better. We have a number of people that we could reach out to. And perhaps you are trying to. But keep trying. Don't stop. Don't get discouraged. Keep asking. Keep inviting. Keep encouraging. My good buddy Doy Doak always told me, he says, invite and encourage. Invite and encourage. And then he'd flip it around on me and say, encourage and invite. Encourage and invite. And I said, Doy, are you trying to give me a message? He said, yes, invite and encourage. And at the same time, encourage and invite. Seemed to fit well over a plate of biscuits and gravy, I must say. But encourage and invite. Invite and encourage. Because God is good. And all the time. During the first week of Saul's spiritual training camp, he met Barnabas. He had no idea then that God had placed next to him the one man the church had already nicknamed the encourager. He was a ranger type buddy. And when Saul left Damascus, he walked back to Jerusalem, learned all he could from the Christians who walked with him. The conversations must have been intense as Saul learned all he could about Jesus. He would have come to Capernaum as he returned to Jerusalem. Saul would have seen for the first time the house where Jesus lived. In Capernaum, he would have met men and women who had been healed by Jesus. He would have seen the light in their eyes and as they told the stories of what happened on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. All along the way for more than 120 miles, Saul would have met people who had been changed by Jesus. Imagine his excitement as he returned to Jerusalem. Finally, he would meet Peter, John, James. He'd sit down with Bartholomew, Andrew, and Simon the Zealot. He'd have dinner with Thomas. He would meet all of these guys and all of these men who had walked with Jesus. He would tire them out with his questions. He would wait on their uh, on their every need, he would pour over the Torah with them, looking for the marks and lessons of Jesus in Scripture. But when he arrived, he couldn't find a single disciple. Every time he got close to tracking down somebody, he found an empty house. Every time he was ready to hold out his hand in friendship, he got nothing but air. And after a few days, truth seemed obvious. The disciples were hiding from Saul. They had heard that he had become a believer, but they didn't believe it. How many times have we seen somebody come to the Lord, but we don't really believe it? I remember when my brother, my number two brother, got up and started walking forward at church to receive Christ as his Savior. My first thought in my mind was not hallelujah. It was, what is he up to? I thought he's going up there to slap, backhand slap that preacher because he said something to him. Well, he went up in tears to receive Jesus as his Savior and baptized into Christ that day. I was grateful I was there at the church service. But my initial thought was, what in the world is he doing? How, how much are we like these disciples? You see, Saul needed a friend to stand with him. He didn't have 
far to look because Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Christ. So Saul stayed with them and according to chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, he stayed with them, moved freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. What a beautiful example Barnabas was. As it was then, it is today a faithful friend stands with you, stands up for you, and doesn't waver in his support. If you found such a friend, then you found a great source of power. If you are that kind of friend, God's power is working through you. A faithful friend will stay with you. Barnabas' friendship wasn't just short term. Uh, when he became a friend to Saul, Barnabas made a commitment for the long haul. You got any friends like that? That you're still connected to even on the long haul? After meeting those disciples, Saul took some time off. He retreated for three years for study, prayer, and reflection. Spent time in Tarsus, the town of his birth, some time in Arabia, and some back in Damascus. But in time, the church wondered what happened to the passionate convert named Saul. And at that point, a friend went to find him. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Verses, chapter 11, verse 25 through 26 or tells us that a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Barnabas stayed with Saul for a whole year. And beyond that year, Barnabas stayed with Saul for a lifetime. They started churches together. They grew missionaries together. They stayed together in the midst of dis disagreement. But Barnabas was the kind of friend Saul needed, for Saul needed a man to stay with him. Think about the way Ananias and Barnabas helped change the world. Saul, who became known as, as Paul, eventually would become the most important missionary in Christian history, a leader in equal, uh, in equal status with Peter and John in the early church, and the most prolific writer of the New Testament. How many millions becoming Christians have been freed by the concept of salvation by grace and not by works? How many marriages have been saved by the words in 1 Corinthians 13? How many anxious hearts have been calmed by the peace that passes all understanding or the knowledge that God can work good in every situation? God has used those scriptural concepts for centuries. Millions upon millions of believers have received them. I've been changed by the words that Paul wrote. So have you. He wrote them. What a dynamic, confident, irrepressible, crucial leader he became. But flashback now to the day when this same man lay crumpled in the dirt on the outskirts of Damascus. A bright light and an overwhelming Savior had just taken his eyesight. His spiritual foundation and his emotional health. And as Saul stumbled into the city, he didn't want food. He didn't want water. He needed a friend. So God reached down through two men and asked them to help change the world. He spoke to Ananias and Barnabas and asked them to be a friend to a man who desperately needed them. And the world was changed. God works in simple ways. Somewhere, perhaps today, a person near you needs a faithful friend. If you answer God's call to be that friend, it might be you that changes the world. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning at the close of our service asking you to be very real in our lives, to be very real to each person that's here. 
Father, may they sense your presence today. If we are not a friend that is faithful, would we perhaps receive the challenge to become a faithful friend? If we know and have a faithful friend, can we rejoice? Because that's a friend that will stick closer than a brother. And we've got one of those in Jesus. But it's good to have it in flesh as well. But God, more than anything, you want to be our friend. You want to stick with us through thick and thin. You want to be there for us. You want to share a gentle touch. You want to give us the right word at the right time. You want to stand with us, hold on to us, and never turn us loose. And so, God, I pray that today, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know you in that way, that they'll respond to your call. They'll respond to the prompting of the, your spirit in their life. Father, if there's somebody here that's never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, today would be the great day to do that. And they may say, Lord, I, I, you know, God, I just can't go forward. I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I'm shy. I don't want to be in front of people. You know, here's the good news, God. You took a guy blinded on the road to Damascus, took him to a house, and had one person come to that house and share the good news. So God, it doesn't have to be in a crowd. It can be right there in my living room, in their living room. It can be over a cup of coffee, wherever your spirit is allowed to move. So God would... You impress upon the hearts of your people this day, this morning, that time is running out. We don't know the day nor the hour. Our job, our responsibility, our opportunity is to get that message to as many as we can before we're called home. So God, if they're not ready, I want to help them. This church wants to help. God, if they've been ready and slid away from it, it's not important as it used to be. Would you wrestle with those hearts? Would you, would you blind them? Blind them. So they will stop and focus on who you are and what you are and why you are. If there's a need, God, respond in their life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a decision, make it. Let's stand.